Good morning, my friends, and welcome to another morning of our time together as we meditate on the Word of God. My name is Nimrod Bai from Kononia Ministries, Nairobi, and I would like to welcome you to read with me the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. And our topic today will be the beginning of a revolution. Now we shall be talking about that term, revolution, in a little while. Let it not worry you. So let us pray. Our loving Father, we thank you for giving us another day to be together as men and women who seek to know you in a deeper and more intimate manner, who seek to find ways in which they can be more useful and effective in ministry and in their lives uh, at large. We pray, Lord, that you may be with us, that we fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to understand the reading of the word, the message it contains, and how we can apply it in pra practical ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, um, we shall read from Mark uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, but then at the same time we shall touch later on uh, some sections from the books of uh, Luke and Matthew and Luke. So the word says as follows. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Pro, um, just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare the, your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore leather belt around his waist. For food, he, is, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, Let's begin by going a little back to the Old Testament, uh, particularly to the book of Mark uh, of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament. Verse four, chapter four, verse five of the book of Malachi. Chapter four is the last chapter of the Old Testament, 
and of the book of Malachi. And verse 5 of that book says as follows. Look, I am sending you prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. The people of Israel had um, returned from the 70 years of exile and unfortunately their old ways, their old sinful ways and rebellion against God still remained in them. The prophets warned that uh, God was not happy and some disaster would come upon them unless they repented. But they were slow in responding to the warnings of the prophet. Now, after the, after the Old Testament, uh, or after the, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was a 400 years space of time when God apparently did not speak at all to Israel, when the voice of the prophet was not heard in Israel anymore. And it is at that time, in that context, that John the Baptist came in the wilderness preaching and by preaching the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and baptism to underline the fact that people had repented and turned away from their sins in readiness for the anticipated Messiah. John says the Messiah is soon going to be unveiled. In fact, he mentioned he's among you, but you don't know him. Uh, it, uh, John himself didn't know him. Uh, it was revealed to him uh, sometime uh, later uh, when, when Jesus came even to be baptized. But uh, the Messiah had come, but he, was in this, he had come in disguise. But John had come to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And to prepare the way it was really to prepare the hearts of the people by taking away their sins, by asking for forgiveness that when the Messiah arrived, there would be people to welcome him. And so um, by John's message so far, I can say this. The prophet, as we know him, or prophetess, his work is not just to predict the future, that's only part of it. The work of the prophet includes teaching the people, ministering the word of God to people's lives and exhorting them to change from their lives of sin to a kind of life that is pleasing to God. So the prophet is also a teacher then. He teaches, he admonishes, he even rebukes. He also comforts, he gives hope and encouragement. The book of the New Testament, uh, the book of uh, First Timothy, verse 
2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That is a New Life translation. Our role as a church, my friends, let us make no mistake about this. Our role as a church of Jesus Christ is the same role that was played by the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of Jesus Christ. It is to teach the word of God, to teach the people and lead them into prayer and to repentance and to right living with God, to insist upon right living with God. Nobody should be ever be called a Christian, my friends, unless they have repented of their sins and have been forgiven. Christian doesn't mean to go to church. It doesn't mean people who don't belong to other religions. It means we can surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. And now Christ was coming at that time and John came ahead of him to prepare the way. Our work also, in, therefore, as a church, involves preparing the hearts of the people as we wait for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And who knows when he is coming? Who knows when he is coming? Our work is not different from, from that of John. So when we bring people to the point of baptism, we shouldn't baptize with water unless we are sure they are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit as well, having given their life to Jesus. Scripture says that uh, the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. And the point at which we are now, we are to prepare ourselves as the bride prepares herself and beautify herself and decorates herself and perfumes herself and all that as she waits for the bridegroom to come and sweep her way to the new life, the new married life. To be able to do that, our lives had to be radically transformed. And our message as a church has also to be radically transformed. We need to be both instructive and corrective. Our message has to be both sweet and bitter medicine. But we, the church of Jesus Christ, must be the first to take the bitter medicine. That's why I have titled this message this morning, The Beginning of a Revolution. Well, revolution, the word revolution just means thorough change, I mean radical change. So it's not, um, it's not uh, anything to do with the violence, overthrowing any systems, but to be radically transformed in our lives in the ways that we cannot do ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit of God to transform us and make our lives and make it possible for us to be to live here on earth heavenly lives while we are still here on earth as we wait for the lord to come baptism in the holy spirit does that for us 
it is not something we can do by ourselves. We live, therefore, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we live under the power, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's why we say we are citizens of heaven. The Bible says we are citizens of heaven. We have become children of God. This is not something um, just, just that we, can, we do ourselves. It is not something minor. It is something radical and revolutionary. That's the whole meaning of this uh, topic. So John's message was itself revolutionary. Jesus' message was radical and revolutionary. Uh, let's have no doubts about that. Uh, the old way was being replaced by the new way of life. Christ himself says you can't put old wine in new skins. And, and, and you can't put an old patch of cloth, on, I mean a new patch of cloth, on an old uh, dress. It will get torn. You have to put new wine in new skin, wine skins. And this is what is happening here. Change and change, my friends, must begin with us. Spiritual change. If we need to change our world, our society, we, the Church of Christ, we who are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, have to change first. So John was not just demanding repentance, but he was also baptizing the Jews. Now, this is something that had not been done before among the Jews. Baptism in the Old Testament was meant for Gentiles, Gentile sinners who wanted to, to, to join, to become, to, to join the, to be allowed, to be admitted into Judaism. They needed to go that process of water purification. John is insisting not just the Gentiles, but as Jews as well. Everybody needed to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. So this defines our idea of, uh, of our evolution. That is true believers, again, uh, would henceforth live by the Spirit of God and would live heavenly lives here on earth, not by sacrifices or anything externally done rituals and stuff like that. It's got an inside job. Transformation will be inside from now henceforth. And so let us break down this message of John and see what it means. And that, that is where I said we shall need to look at both um, Mark, uh, the three Gospels, Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, and uh, John, and, and look to understand the full story. So John, we are told, preached the baptism of repentance. Now, I've already said that this means a radical change, a turning from one direction to the exact, to the opposite direction. That means 180 degrees turn. In relation to God, it is to admit our sins and seek forgiveness and turn from our old ways and enter into a life that is totally ruled and guided by Jesus Christ, by the life of Jesus Christ. Now let us also look at uh, John's audience. 
we are told that the whole population in Judea, including uh, Jerusalem itself, and people came from all that, those, that place to see John and to hear his message. And so John's message was directed to all the people, the entire population, the poor, peasant, up to the king in his palace. And this, and his one message, one and all, was repent. Repent. The kingdom of God is coming and has come. The same message had at the beginning of his ministry. Now, so the uh, different categories of people from this different social classes came to hear John's message. First of all, um, when we look at the three Gospels, we, we, I, I want us to put it in this order. He addressed himself to the crowds in general, telling them that true repentance is seen in acts of kindness towards others. That was a general message. Second, John addressed himself to the corrupt tax collectors. And what did he tell them? In verse 13 of, um, <clears throat> of Luke chapter 3, well, he says, um, don't collect more than is due to you. Don't extort the people as the tax collectors were doing. He says, just take what is required by the law and don't take any more than that. And that's quite fair, isn't it? Then that, he talked to the soldiers who also came to, to see John. And he said that the soldiers apparently used force to take the, whatever they, they wanted. And he says, don't take money from anyone by force or accuse them falsely and be content with your wages. Be content with your wages. My friends, how relevant this message is for us today. People are complaining how they are being harassed by the police. No soldiers this time, it's the police. They are the ones that keep law and, and, uh, and order in, um, in, the, in the civilian sector. But they are extorting money from people. They are arresting people falsely so that they can give a bribe to be released. And they are doing all manner of things that they shouldn't be doing. While they are keeping the law, they are breaking it, which is exactly what the soldiers are doing, which is exactly what other people do uh, even today, people in, in authority. And John is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Be content with your monthly salaries. And that's enough. And then fourth, John addressed himself to, to the adulterous king, Herod. Now, this is in, in, in chapter 3. We, we, had, we didn't read this, but you know the story. Uh, if you read the Bible, uh, John uh, tried to correct or rebuked the king, King Herod, for stealing his brother's wife. He said this was not right. So John also preached to the high in authority, including the king himself. Now, my friends, I remember a time when our pastors, 
did not fear confronting the rulers of our nations, even the dictators, at the expense, some of them at the expense of their own lives, for their corruption, for their oppression and exploitation of the people, for the genocide that, that they, they perpetrated on the society, on other uh, people from other ethnic minorities. And John is doing the same. So what John did is a part of what the church should be doing and something which we have neglected, sadly to say. And so we, we see that oppression coming back. That, uh, you know, favoritism uh, taking, coming back again. The corruption right into, into people's homes and in the church itself coming back again. John spoke about it. And he demanded for you to be baptized. You need to, to change. My friends, the church is baptizing anybody who says, I am born again. Oh, I, I love Christ. I am a Christian. We should demand radical change. Not ask them some questions and give them a piece of paper to read and say, yes, I believe and I believe and I believe. People's lives must radically change in order to be followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not the one saying, it is Christ himself saying so. And now finally, and fifth and finally, John addressed himself to the corrupt religious authorities, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In fact, Matthew uh, records it, I mean says that when John saw these ruling class people, these religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the Jews, he was agitated. He got kind of worked up and he called them a brood of vipers, children of snakes. What brings you here? Who warned you that the, your, your time is up and the wrath of God is coming upon you? To the other people, John was very nice and very kind, but not to the corrupt religious leaders. And so we need to, to take note of this, my friends, as we preach the word of God, as we call ourselves pastors and teachers and ministers and bishops and all that, that Jesus, maybe Jesus Christ has another view of what kind of people we are. Because he knows from inside it doesn't deceive Jesus when we put on these fine clothes and hang huge crosses on our necks. When we are called by our own manner of holy names, like uh, your, 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 your goodness, your highness, your holiness, your this on the other one. When we have titles like bishop, archbishop, reverend, most high reverend, and all that and all that, it doesn't it doesn't count with Jesus. What counts is the content of our hearts, the content of our character, my friends. And so John did not shy away from confronting the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And surely they did need somebody to talk to them, didn't they? So what's the point of all these things? What's the point of this message? One, if I want change, I have to be that change myself. Change must come with me first. I must set the example, even as a teacher. It is not right 
to teach your children and then you but you don't do what they do even as a parent even as a preacher or a teacher for this reason you see the church and the religious leaders and all Christians lack the moral authority to preach and teach to any person if they are not themselves living in obedience to the word of God the law that says do what i say not what i do does not apply in the family of God it is not our law it is a cynical attempt by hypocrites to evade their their moral responsibility God demands a change of heart and mind repent and produce fruit in accordance with repentance demands John and so must we demand that kind of change and so it must be demanded of us too we who preach the word of God repentance must begin with us so that our message can be heard by the rest of the world can be taken seriously the apostle Paul says as much to the Roman church when he says well then if you teach others why don't you teach yourself you tell the others not to steal but you yourself steal you say it is wrong to commit adultery but do you commit adultery you condemn idolatry but do you use items stolen from pagan temples you are so proud of knowing the law but you dishonor god by breaking it no wonder the scripture says the gentiles blaspheme the name of god because of you that says it all my friends i don't need to add anything my friends doesn't this actually describe the condition of the church today we tell people to drink water while we are drinking wine now i know that uh, not everybody is guilty but unfortunately the old idiom english idiom is right when it says a bad apple spoils the whole bunch we need to wake up church of christ church of christ my brothers and my sisters consider this today church activity is more noticeable than ever before we have more freedom of worship our leaders are much more better i mean are better educated than ever we have more church buildings we have more christian concerts more conferences more seminars more programs more strategies more media events more gospel music more books videos and magazines more tv stations and tv talks more resources than any generation in history there are more people than ever claiming to be christians more people more people than ever saying i am born again there are more pastors more evangelists more prophets apostles than ever before yet my friends yet at the same time we are constantly being accused 
of corruption, moral corruption of actual of adultery, divorce, theft, corruption, greed, love of money, worldliness, drunkenness, ungodliness, and lawlessness generally. Friends, when King David was caught in adultery and murder, he immediately confessed his sin, saying, I have sinned against God. I have sinned against the Lord. And then Prophet Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Repentance averts God's wrath and judgment, my friends. John says, Repent. The Word of God says, Repent. Jesus says to the churches in, 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 in Revelation, repent. We have to repent. My friends, oh, God's judgment is upon us. And so, to conclude the whole of this talk, the point is this. If we are to forget anything else, our calling is a call to holy living. John is demanding holy living for the people who would receive the Messiah, the people who teach the word of God, for the whole nation, for the king, for the soldiers, for the civil servants, for families, for individuals, for school teachers, for the police and the army, for the people in the prisons, for the people in commerce and industry, the word is the same, repent, repent, as we wait for the Messiah to come a second time. Now, and this is not my own idea. It is, not, it is the word of God. The Apostle Peter says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. But now... You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. Repentance, my friends, is, takes about three step, three step, three step action. First of all, we have to admit that we sin, we have sinned. Then we have to confess that sin. Then we have, we have to turn around 180 degrees from one direction to the opposite direction. And then we need to allow the Holy Spirit to take control of our lives and lead us along the path of righteousness and holiness. That's it, my friends. We have to, to turn around and give our lives to Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit and surrender the control of our lives to, to the Holy Spirit. And God, when we do that, God makes a promise that he will forgive our sins and he will forgive them completely and forget them and allow us to start on a new slate, on a new page. First uh, John chapter four, first John chapter eight and nine say as follows. If we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living according to the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That, my friend, is the word of God. It is the word of God to us, all me included. Now let me ask you, what is your response? Do you have any sins to confess? Or do you argue, I have no sin? The book says, if you say that you are, if you say you have no sin, you are lying to yourself. The truth is, we have all sinned, and we continue to sin if, even after receiving Christ, because we are mere human beings. But God, in Christ, will forgive us if we are humble enough to confess our sins to Him and turn from our old wicked ways into His new life in the Holy Spirit. I thank you, my friends, for healing. May God bless you as, you, as we together confess our sins and let God give us a new life and be part of this revolution. God bless you. There's a number for you that you can call. There's also an email address. Please use them to reach us. Bye-bye.